you know that Abraham Lincoln checked the Book of Mormon out of the Library of Congress and signed for it himself? When you dig into the Restoration, you realize that you can't tell the story of American history without the Restoration, and you can't tell the Restoration without the story of American history. They're the same story. The Pilgrims, they knew that they were coming to America to, and this is their words, to found a new Jerusalem. And when they came over, they believed that the, the Garden of Eden was actually in America. But you cannot understand the true purpose of the Civil War unless you understand why Joseph Smith ran for president. Okay, I just had the most incredible conversation that you need to hear. Roll tape. When you dig into the Restoration, you realize that you can't tell the story of American history without the Restoration, and you can't tell the Restoration without the story of American history. They're the same story. They're, they're one and the same. And so, like, you know, some of the claims that were being made about the Founding Fathers or what their actual role was or if they knew what was going on, like, um, there is this, there's this, like, heaps and heaps of evidence that, that, you know, the Pilgrims, they knew that they were coming to America to, and this is their words, to found a new Jerusalem. And when they came over, they believed that the, the Garden of Eden was actually in America, right? Um, they also, um, and, then, and then just fast forwarding to like Washington, for example, like Washington, um, it's super interesting. So it, it, when George Washington swore in as president of the United States, April 30th, 1789, he put his hand on one scripture and, and George Washington, he's a very deliberate person. And if you go to Mount Vernon today, that they'll tell you that. But I, I was there just a couple weeks ago, and I asked them why did why did George Washington put his hand on the scripture that he did when he swore in as president of the United States? And no one there can answer that question. But do you, do you know what scripture he put his his hand on? His Masonic Bible. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what scripture. So it was it was his Masonic Bible, and he put his hand. On Genesis, and when you go to Mount Vernon, you can, they actually have a, a replica of it, and it shows, and it shows where his pointer finger was on, uh, which verse, and it is Genesis forty nine. Joseph is a fruitful bough whose branches reach over the wall. Really? So, so to the rest of the world, that's just gibberish, uh, and, and and most common, most people that write commentaries are like, oh, he just opened up the Bible randomly and put his hand on something, but. For us in the LDS Church, those scriptures mean something. They mean something really big, right? Because it's talking about the seed of Joseph reaching over the wall, which is the Atlantic Ocean. And you read any Old Testament manual that the church has put out; they teach the same thing. And so he was, he was, he was right there, putting forth the idea that he knew that the American continent. Was the seed was was made for the seed of Joseph, and the Ephraim and Manasseh, you know, came and 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 they are inheriting this promised land once again. Um, wow! And so that's that's just one. But like, there's there's a million different things. Like, like 
I, I literally just skipped through. And in George Washington, during the Revolutionary War, he, he sent out um, four general orders calling the American people to prayer. And it's not like the, the prayer that you hear today where it's like, we're going to have a day of prayer when whoever the president is says it. But he, he calls them to repentance. And he says, um, uh, I call on the American people to repent of their manifold sins so that divine providence can assist us in this great work that we are in. And, and he sends this out four times. Like, what sort of American president or, 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 or a lot of people call George Washington a deist, right? Meaning that they say that he, he believed in maybe a divine power, but he didn't believe that the divine power intervened in, um, in man. And this is like, I, I legit have like a hundred quotes of George Washington giving God all of the credit for the founding of America and the winning of the battle. And the, the miracles that accompanied him after he would do these calls of prayer and call his men to repentance are, are absolutely insane. Um, like what? And Lincoln did the same thing. Um, so like the, the Battle of Long Island, for example. So this is at the very beginning. Um, so he, he calls, he does a call for prayer in um, May, June, and July. And this is August um, 1776. And they're on Long Island, Battle of Long Island, and they're getting pushed back. And General Howe is just like crushing them. And they finally get pushed back to um, uh, the river. Um, I'm blinking on it right now. It's the river dividing Long Island from mainland. It's, it's just uh, called the East River. Yeah, the East River. That's what it is. Yeah, so it gets pushed all the way back to the East River. Now, General Howe is, he's like, we got him. We have him surrounded. He has like 50,000 troops on one end. Uh, Washington's got his, um, I think he's down to 13,000 troops at that time. So twenty, he's got 50,000 troops coming up against him. And then General Howe orders his warships to come around up the East River and to cut Washington off. And then once that happens, then the Revolutionary War is over. Um, but what happens is just like heaven intervenes in a way that's amazing. So what? So um, first off, the ships start turning, and all of a sudden, they're just this insane wind coming from the north, pushing the ships down, like to the point where it's like ruining the ships. The ships cannot make it up the East River. And um, as night falls, um, George Washington comes up with this plan. He goes away uh, for a while, and they, they think that he was praying. He comes back, and he's like, all right, this is what we're going to do. I, we're going to keep the fires stoked. We're going to keep cannons going just with the, the minimal amount of men that we, we, we can. And we are going to start crossing the East River. And so gather as many boats as you can, and we're going to cross 13,000 men with cannons, with infantry, with, with horses, with all of that, right? And so um, they cross, they start crossing the river, but the problem is, and, and the British just think, okay, we'll just wait till morning and then we'll crush them, we'll finish them off. And the only problem is, is that the sun's starting to come up and it's going to reveal Washington's plan and, and then they're going to be toast because they still have like thousands of people that need to make it over. And just as the sun is rising, a giant pea fog or a pea soup fog is what they called it. They said it was, it was so thick that you couldn't see a man four yards in front of you, just 
right when they cross, and there's multiple accounts, people wrote multiple accounts, right when they cross, the fog dissipates, the British are moving in, and they see that they escaped. And General Howe, he writes in this, he's like, how it, it must have been God that done this, because there's no way that the blundering Washington would have ever been able to make this sort of escape. And they're absolutely dumbfounded. Um, so, I mean, that, that's just one of the miracles. There's, there's like three or four large miracles that happened. Um, and yeah, like Washington and his, his faith, um, is so clear. And, you know, in his, uh, first inaugural address, he, he invokes the American covenant in a way that is, is incredible. So he, uh, first he puts his hand on the Bible, puts his arm to the square and he, makes a covenant that he will uphold the constitution right and then he gives a speech and he says one of the lines in the speech is um a nation cannot expect uh, wait let me oh yeah the smiles of heaven can only be expected upon a nation that or cannot okay sorry the smiles of heaven cannot be expected on a nation that disregards the eternal rules of order and right, which heaven itself has ordained. And so he puts forth this idea that like, hey, unless we keep the orders of uh, the, the, the principles of order and right, which heaven itself has ordained, we cannot maintain a, a, as a free nation. Um, and he, he, he said this in, in multiple things. That's just the, the, the most notable one um, because it's just the day that he, he becomes president and the constitution of the United States is ratified. Um, but yeah, that's him. And then the other part too, and this is a, this is, this is even more insane, especially when it comes, um, when it comes to the restoration is the civil war. And I'll make a statement here. That's, it's, it's pretty, it sounds pretty crazy, but you cannot understand the true purpose of the civil war unless you understand why Joseph Smith ran for president. Well, that's a pretty bold claim. Repeat that. You cannot understand the true nature of the Civil War unless you understand why Joseph Smith Jr. ran for president in 1844. And who said that? Um, that's uh, that's I mean, that's just that's just me saying it. Oh, that's you. <laughs> but, okay, sorry. I thought um, you were like I thought you were parodying some yeah, philosopher sorry. of the 19th century. I'm sorry, I didn't no. pick up on that. Okay, wow. So. Okay, I can see why a bunch of detractors would immediately call that somehow white supremacist yeah. or whatever. But um, expound upon what you're saying. Yeah. So what I mean by this is that so when Joseph Smith ran for president, his platform you can look up his political platform on on the internet. But I mean, he had a few things. Like one was like prison reform, which I think is pretty interesting. Like he was like, you know, other than violent criminals. Uh, prisons should be more like institutions of learning where we empower people to make better decisions. So that was one of his platforms. Um, he had a couple other things that were just kind of like not super notable, but the two main political platforms that he ran on was one, Get rid of slavery. slavery should be abolished. And then reduce um, the pay to Congress. That, um, so one, that slavery should be abolished. Two, that um, the constitutional rights should be afforded to all or should be um, enforced on the state.
up, up to that point, the Constitution only applied to the federal government, but states could do whatever they wanted. And that's why the Saints were having such a hard time, like, for example, in Missouri and, and Illinois, is because um, those state governments didn't have to abide by the Constitution. They didn't have to afford the Mormons their, their freedom of religion. They didn't, they, they, they didn't, they were not forced by the federal government to do that. And so, you know, in DMC, when, when the Lord tells Joseph, he's like, um, talking about the, the, the bad things that are happening to the saints, he says, importune at the feet of the governor. If he did not hear, hear you importune at the, at the feet or importune at the feet of the judge, if he did not hear you importune at the feet of the governor, if he did not hear you importune at the feet of the president. And so Joseph Smith does that, and none of them hear him. They're just like, sorry, I can't do anything. And it's because, uh, especially when he got to the president, because the president just said, I can't do anything, which he was right, because the federal government couldn't do anything to to um, protect their religious freedom. And so that's why Joseph Smith was putting forth those two things, because the, the, the restoration of the gospel, the building of temples, depended solely on the constitutional rights um, being afforded to to the saints, which they were not, and that's why temples were being destroyed. That's why they're being dri- driven out and, and murdered and, and cast aside. Right now, uh, Joseph Smith, when he ran for president, um, and and also when he was rejected by you know the judge, the governor, and and the president, he put forth, and, and you can read this in Doctrine and Covenants. He put he says that um, unless the um, the country repents essentially there will be a, a sore vexation that will curse the nation um and he talks about you know the calamities that will happen because of that um he also obviously you know the the, the revelation of the civil war uh, starting in south carolina which is in fort sumter um so he puts forth these uh this this prophecy um but he doesn't want this to happen so he runs for president but then he's killed right and he's actually he's the first uh, presidential candidate to be to be assassinated. And um, so fast forward, you know, 1862, and Abraham Lincoln is the, this new president um, of the United States. And when he um, became president of the United States, he 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 said this in his first inaugural address. And this is verbatim. He says, um, I have no intention directly or indirectly to touch the institution of slavery where it now exists. So our, our boy, Abe Lincoln, at the beginning of his presidency was like, I'm not going to touch slavery. And the reason he personally hated slavery, but the reason he wasn't going to touch it was because the South was already starting to secede. And so, um, he, uh, he, Sorry, dude, it's late. I wasn't planning on talking about all this stuff right now. But um, dude, no, I'm setting this up. Is, um, so, so yeah, so Lincoln, he says that, but obviously God's not going to allow that to happen because, um, first off, slavery as a national sin, God's not going to allow slavery to continue much longer in His covenant land, the same covenant land that the Jaredites inhabited and the Nephites. He's not going to allow slavery to exist much longer, and so. Uh, so that wasn't going to happen. So what happens in 1862 is Lincoln goes through this conversion process. In February, his son Willie dies, who he was like so close with, and his wife ends up losing her mind because of it. And also, 
all the military power, they had more resources, um, they were losing every battle. And so Lincoln is being humbled greatly. Now, there's an interesting, I don't know if you know this fact, but Abraham Lincoln, did you know that Abraham Lincoln checked the Book of Mormon out of the Library of Congress and signed for it himself? No, really? Yeah, dude. Yes. Abraham Lincoln checked the Book of Mormon out of the Library of Congress and he held on to it for eight months. Whoa. Yes. And like we have, we have, like it's all documented. So he had the Book of Mormon for eight months, starting at the beginning of 1862. Now, there's multiple accounts of Lincoln, especially after his son died, voraciously reading what they, what people said was a tan Bible, a dog-eared tan Bible, and he was carrying it around with him everywhere and reading it. Um, and so, uh, and we'll go back to the, the whole Book of Mormon thing later, but um, so during that time, he had Wait, the Book so of was that dog-eared tan Bible, was that the Book of Mormon, the original edition? I think so. I think it was, and, you, and I'll, I'll explain more about why, why, why we think that um, later, but he, uh, so he, so during this time, he has the Book of Mormon, um, and he was the most read president, really, of any president. Like, he loved reading, and so he checked out dozens and dozens of books, but he never checked them out for eight months. But for some reason, during this time, he held on to the Book of Mormon for eight months. Now, um, during that same time, uh, Abraham Lincoln also had, they hired a nurse. Her name is Rebecca um, Palmroy. And she was she was hired because um, Mary Todd Lincoln lost her mind, and they still had their son Tad who needed to be cared for. And so they hired this nurse, and Lincoln's preoccupied with the war, obviously. And so she comes in, and he's very struck by her because her husband was killed in a war. Um, her husband was killed in a war. Uh, her oldest boy was killed in a war, and she still had another boy who was fighting the Civil War. But for some reasons, she was still a joyous, like, happy lady. And Lincoln was suffering greatly because of the loss of his son, his wife, losing the war. And he, he comes up to her and he says, what is, what is the source of your joy? Like, why, why are you so happy? And she says, because I met, I've met God. And, and, he, and he, in essence, says, well, will you introduce me to him? And so she starts teaching him about prayer. She starts teaching him about the Bible and all this stuff. And so all these all these forces are working for Lincoln, um, trying to get him to have a change of heart. And what is the reason for that change of heart? It's 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 so that the National Covenant, the American Covenant, can be restored and that slavery can be abolished, and and there can be a national repentance. And so. Um, there's this, uh, so kind of all of this is happening and it all comes to a head in, um, September of 1862, actually July, I'll start in July. So July 1862, um, and this is really controversial right here, but I'll say it cause I know you guys are fine with controversy, but a lot of people think that the blood of the Confederates was all in vain, right? That, that, that the South were nothing but evil and that their, their blood was all spilled in vain. Um, but once you understand the restoration and once you understand what needed to happen in order to abolish slavery, you recognize that the vexation on the, the, on the country and, and, 
and the blood that was spilled for both North and South was meant as an atonement for the sin of slavery, and and that the the blood of the Confederates it, it wasn't in vain, but that that, that they played a, an essential role in in the abolition of slavery. So, um, as some kind of like, is, as some kind of like. They, they, Almost that almost sounds like the old idea of blood atonement. Yeah, it kind of sounds like it, but it's not really. I, and I mean it more figuratively than literally. It's more. Yeah. And I'll explain kind of more what I mean. So what I'm saying is, um, but you're saying July, that America paid a price for permitting the sin of slavery, and it paid it in blood. I so let me let me explain. Let me expand a little. Yeah. Bit. By the way, I'm not trying to pin you um, to something controversial. I'm just saying that's that that seems like the face value yeah, of the claim, right? Yeah. So what what I'm claiming is that the South. Um, so okay, I'll it will it'll be clear once I explain the story. So um, in July 1862, um, the North, the Union, comes down to Richmond, which is the headquarters of this of the South, right, of the Confederates, and if they take um, Richmond, then the Civil War is over, and and then awesome, right? Then then the Union is preserved, and and then there's no more people dying. Now the problem is, is that just the month prior, or actually the month after this, um, Abraham Lincoln says, "If I could preserve the Union and keep slavery in where it exists, I would do that. If I could preserve the Union and have slavery throughout the whole Union." I would do that. If I could preserve the union and abolish slavery, I would do it. And so what that means is that Abraham Lincoln, his top priority was to preserve the union. And and God, like that didn't matter to God. God needed him to have his top priority be the abolition of slavery. And so and so he he's in that state of mind still at this time. So if the union came in and they would have won in Richmond in July then what would have happened is slavery would have still existed in the states where it existed because all Lincoln cared about was that the union stayed, right? And so this is like kind of the controversial thing, but I, I personally believe that, that God in some way strengthened the Confederates in those in the what they call the seven day the seven day war down in Richmond. And essentially the Union should have won. They had they had far superior um, artillery, they had more troops, and they were on the offense, and um, they should have won by all accounts, but they got destroyed. And um, and the reason why that had to happen, and, and it, you know, this is controversial because then you get into, like, things in the Old Testament, for example, like, I will stir up the heart of the Pharaoh, or, you know, what's his name? God talks about how he stirred up the hearts of the Lamanites against them. Right. Yeah. So like there's this there's this kind of this weird thing, this this uncomfortable thing. But the fact is that if the union would have won, then slavery would have continued to exist. The Confederates needed to win in order to allow Lincoln to continue to humble himself um, to the point of repentance. And so and so I, I guess what I was going back to the point I was making, I was saying that the Confederates played a, 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 an integral role in restoring the American covenant and helping the abolition of slavery. Um, because what happens next, um, September, 1862, 
there is a document called the Meditations, Meditations of the Divine Will. And Abraham Lincoln, he wrote this not wanting anyone else to see it. And they didn't discover it until after his death. They found it in a roll-top desk. And they kind of said, um, it, it, when they found it, they were like, these were not meant for anyone's eyes. They were just the sincere hearts of a man trying to come in communion with God. And what he writes in that, that meditation of the divine will is he essentially says, he says, I believe God has his own purposes with this war. And I'm coming to believe that neither North or South are right in their endeavor. Like, so the commander in chief, the guy who's in charge of the union army, he's saying that they're wrong. And so that's why, that's why he didn't want anyone to see it. He's, he, he came to this point where he's like, God has another purpose. And what is that purpose? And so this is where it comes to a head. During this whole time as well, he has the Book of Mormon with him, just mind you. And he's learning about this idea that if you don't keep the commandments, then you will not prosper in the land and you've learned all those things, right? Now, this is where it all comes to a head. He, he has this thought and he tells in October, he tells his, uh, um, his right-hand man, William Seward, he says, I think I'm going to free the slaves. And William Seward says, don't do it. Not right now. Like, you can do it, but not right now. Because if you do it now, it's going to, like, look, because we're losing every battle, it's going to look like it's just, like, a, a last-ditch effort to try to, like, find something, grasp at something, right? He says, wait until we win a battle and then announce that you're going to do it. And so what happened, and, and we have firsthand accounts of people writing down what Lincoln is saying on this, right? Or I guess they're secondhand accounts. Secondhand accounts of people who are in meetings in, in Lincoln's cabinet. And this is what he said. He said, I have been on my knees making a covenant with God that if he, if we win this next battle and at Antietam, that um, I am going to free the slaves, whether you like it or not. And he, he tells that because his cabinet didn't want him to free the slaves because it was so controversial. And also, it was kind of unconstitutional, is what they were claiming it. It was unconstitutional. Yeah, well, they were trying and to say so, that it would be an act of tyranny. And back then, mm-hmm. like, they didn't, the, the American public didn't even like the idea that the government chased down Billy the Kid. Like, that the government would yeah. actually chase an individual uh-huh. man down months after he committed yeah. a crime when those that were there present for the crime already had their chance to to mm-hmm. fix things like that was unheard of and caused a national uproar now you know sure. us they grew up with the fbi and the 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 okay. u.s marshals chasing we down every dude that skipped email. out on 500 500 dollar bail that's nothing mm-hmm. yeah and and you do you know how he justified the emancipation proclamation do you know like the way he did it yeah he said so that if you're going to like, yeah, he said, if I remember correctly, Abraham Lincoln's justification was, okay, if you guys are rebel states in a state of rebellion and you claim that humans are property, that means that your property is contraband and I have the right to reclaim contraband, thus freeing the slaves. It's so awesome. Like he uses, he uses like their perverse ideology against them, right? And it, it's, it's, it's beautiful and it definitely it had to have been divine the way he 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 came up with that because yeah it was awesome but so he makes this covenant he says i have made a covenant with god on my knees 
win this next battle, Antietam, then I will free the slaves. So while he's making this covenant, there's, you know, miles and miles away, um, there's this young corporal named Corporal Barton Mitchell. And Corporal Barton Mitchell is walking through a field, and he stumbles across something that caught his eye. It's, it's this huge acre, this farm. It's called Best Farm. You can visit it today. Um, but he stumbles across something that catches his eye. It's three cigars wrapped up together. And, you know, nothing's going to catch a young corps. I'm in the Marine Corps, so I, I, I know that, like, uh, um, you know, what catches soldiers' attention. And it's, you know, nicotine. <laughs> so <laughs> he, uh, he's watching. Nicotine and whores. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. So he finds these three cigars. He goes and picks them up, and there's a little note wrapped inside. Right? Okay, so rewind a little bit. A few days earlier, Robert E. Lee had three of his generals before him, and he uh, he was presenting them with a secret battle plans for the Battle of Antietam. These battle plans, it, it was called Special Order 191, and it was just the secret orders, and he gave them to his generals, and they kept a really tight lock on on this information, on this intelligence. And so he he told them, like, once you have these memorized, destroy them. And so Robert E. Lee had one, and there's three other generals. So there were four in existence. Now, Robert E. Lee held on to his, obviously. Um, but the other generals, one of them, he memorized it, and then he chewed it up and swallowed it. The other one memorized it, and he lit it on fire. And then the other one um, sewed it on the inside of his jacket, right? So all of them were accounted for. At least that's what they thought. Now back to Corporal Barton Mitchell. In the middle of these three cigars is an uncounted for, no one knows, not even the South knew where this letter came from, of Special Order 191, the secret plans for the Battle of Antietam, the very battle that Lincoln had gone on his knees and covenanted with God that if they won, he would free the slaves. And he takes that letter to uh, General Grant, and it gives them the edge to get the South to retreat at the Battle of Antietam. If they didn't have that special intelligence, they would have they would have lost again. Um, and so the, the, you just see this miracle once again of of the Lord um, being true to to Abraham Lincoln, who is repenting and and recognizing that the Lord had other reasons for this war. Absolutely incredible. Like, like the, the probability of, of all those happening, is just like, it's so, it's so small. So what happens is, is Lincoln, he prepares, he, he turns in the Book of Mormon seven days before he uh, put forth the Emancipation Proclamation. So he kept on, he kept it, turned it back in and then put in the emancipation proclamation. And, uh, when he, when he put it down as he was on his way, his wife was like, are you really going to do this? Like, you're crazy. Like this is going to cause such a problem. And he looked at her and this is all written down. He looked at her and pointed to the sky to heaven. And he said, I am a man under orders. I can do nothing else. And he went forward and he put forth the Emancipation Proclamation. Um, and after that happens, they after he does that, you just see, like, look at the Civil Wars and how many battles were won before the Emancipation Proclamation was put out and the Battle of Antietam and the look after. 
and you just see that like there's this new spirit guiding the union because now their victory means the abolition of slavery it didn't just mean the preservation of the union and you see like the, the hand of god um guiding the union to victory um and when when abraham lincoln stood his second inaugural address um the war is still going on but it's coming to an end he says um in essence he says uh if this war um or he says uh, fervently do we hope and fervently do we pray that this scourge of war may speedily pass away but if it if god wills it continue until every bit of wealth um of of the bondman's wealth is sunk from the 250 years of unrequited toil and that every single drop of blood drawn with the lash be countered by another drawn with the sword as it was said thou or so so let it be as it was said 3000 years ago um the judgments of god are true and righteous altogether and and he he pretty much just said like guys when he gave the second inaugural address like it was very unpopular because he essentially said guys the whole reason your sons are dead and your fathers are dead is because we allowed slavery to exist (laughs) and that's what he tells them and like people hate that they 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 didn't like it um and um now looking back at it when you have the understanding of the restoration as well not going back to my crazy statement that i made so what were the you can't understand the purpose of the civil war unless you understand why joseph smith ran for president those the two main platforms the two main planks of his platform right the abolition of slavery and the constitutional rights applied to the states as well now what were the two things that happened in 1865 after the end of the civil war the 13th amendment abolishing slavery and the 14th amendment making it so states had to um, abide by constitutional law, um, which made it so that the saints could build temples so this, that the restoration of the gospel could move forward and they, they could no longer be persecuted because of their beliefs. Um, and the federal government would step in and, and protect them in that. Um, so that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of the, it's still a sparks now. Like you can get super deep into this stuff. Like there's, there's a lot of stuff, but that's kind of like the main, the main story. Wow. That is incredible. I didn't realize that we needed an amendment just to enforce the laws that were already in the books, but I'm reading it right here. 14th amendment, no state shall make or enforce any law, which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor de- deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. So this is the infamous equal protection you know, clause that everybody always talks about. Yeah. Yes, 100%. And so before that, that's why this there was able to be an extermination order on the saints. That's why um, they were able to be have, have their temples burned and, and with zero um, repercussions is because the states didn't have to abide by the Constitution. So, and and you ask yourself this question, like when the Saints left um, Nauvoo, they weren't just leaving Nauvoo, they were leaving the United States. They were going to Mexico. 
so Utah was Mexico back then, right? And then, you know, there's uh, the United States ends up buying the land of Utah, and it's now a territory. And um, there was huge talks about, and, and you know, like the um, all the friction that was happening during that time with um, the Saints, Brigham Young, and the United States government, but the United States government still had the Saints in their in their sights. Um, but once the Civil War happened, and once the 14th Amendment happened, then the the friction between the United States government and the and the Saints um, definitely tampered down quite a bit. Um, and uh, it's interesting. Do you, do you know the story of Stephen Douglas and uh, Joseph Smith? His prophecy of Stephen Douglas and then um, and Abraham Lincoln. Um, I've actually held Stephen Douglas's debate preparation notes for the uh, Lincoln Douglas debate. Was oh, that at Reed, at Reed Moon's place? Yeah, you been there? Yeah, I, I went there after I saw your guys' video there. Oh, shut Freaking up, really? Dude. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Did you tell him that so, you came because you saw it on Midnight Mormons? Uh huh. Yeah, I did. Um. He's a good dude. He's a really good dude. Wow. Um, okay. So, uh, uh, do you know the same version of the story that Reed Moon tells, or do you have a different version that you've? So I didn't. I didn't. I didn't hear his version. I don't, did you guys do a video of his version on that? Uh, no, I don't think we did. Uh, did we, uh, Quaku? No, or, I don't think so. So, <laughs> so, um. My my understanding is is this that you know he was he was a judge for Joseph Smith or he was a judge in Illinois and he presided over like six or seven cases regarding Joseph Smith and the Saints and he always favored in Joseph Smith and the Saints um, favor right and um, uh, what happens is one night he's in Nauvoo at Joseph Smith's mansion and. They're having like dinner, having a fun time, and just in Joseph Smith fashion, it turns from like a, a moment of levity, and he he looks at Stephen Douglas very seriously, and he says, "If you ever turn your back on the Saints, you will lose everything that you are working for, and you will be destroyed." He says those two things to him, right? Now, fast forward to when Lincoln and Stephen Douglas. A lot of people know about the Stephen uh, the Douglas Lincoln debates. Um, when they were running for governor in Illinois and Lincoln lost. But a lot of people don't know that they were running for against each other for president as well um, when Lincoln was first running for president. And Stephen Douglas was like the, the winner, or he was the, the most favored um, candidate, and Lincoln was still kind of a nobody. And uh, what happens is they're asked, what, they're asked a question in a debate, what are you guys going to do with the saints? What are your thoughts on the saints and their polygamy? And um, what are you going to do about that? And Abraham Lincoln, this was his answer. He says, many times growing up, I would, when I was plowing a field, I would come across a stump. Its reeds were so deep and it was just too solid. So I would just plow around it. That's what I plan on doing with the Latter-day Saints. And then Stephen A. Douglas says, tells them that he's going to send a cavalry out and he's going to arrest all the leaders of the church and put an end to Mormonism, right? So against all odds, Stephen Douglas loses the election 
and within like I think it's like four months of the election, he gets sick and dies. <laughs> and so Joseph Smith's prophecy that he would lose everything that he worked for and that he would be destroyed come to pass. Hey guys, Cardinellis here. Thanks for watching our show. Uh, before you go to our next video, I want to take care of a couple of things. First, could you please make sure that you are subscribed to this channel? And before you move on, if you're already subscribed, please make sure that you've also clicked on the bell icon next to the subscribe button so you are, quote, notified of all of our postings. If you don't click on that bell, you may only see an occasional upload of ours. Also, if you could please share this with a friend, with a family member, with a coworker, all you have to simply do is press that share button and then SMS text it or email the link to one of your friends and say, hey, I thought this was funny. What did you think? And it's going to help our channel grow even that much more. If you have yet to press that like button, please smash the like button. Thank you for participating in our channel. We'll see you in the next program.